Well, familia, for those of you that do not know me, uh, my name is Josue. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at the Grove Church. And uh, as I prepared this week for uh, this sermon, um, I couldn't help but think it was not a coincidence that we are in this text today. Uh, you've probably seen the world events that have occurred this week. And uh, probably like us and our family prayed, we prayed for our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world, uh, forgot to sustain them, forgot to protect them, forgot to intervene. Um, and as we prayed through that, I'm sure you had some questions of how it is we, we've even gotten to this point, why we are where we are. And today's text has some answers to that. But more than just answers to that, it has uh, a living hope. It has a hope that's beyond simply uh, these nations not destroying one another or World War, World War III breaking out. There is something greater that God is doing in this story and in today's story, we discover the birth of languages, we discover the birth of the nations, but we also discover that there is a God who is very purposeful, that despite our humanity, despite ourselves, God loves us, and God always makes a way for salvation, for us to find a way back to him. And that's the story that we will discover this morning. If you grew up in church at all, you probably know the Tower of Babel, right? You know the story of men and women coming together to build a tower that went up to the heavens, as we read today. And you think, oh, confusion, languages, different things um, that uh, happen in that story might not seem that applicable to us today. But as we've discovered in the book of Genesis, as we've journeyed, is that we are part of this story because we are humans. We've discovered that Adam and Eve were created with a purpose. They were given a direction by God to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth and to rule over it. And we're given a direction to fill the earth with God's glory. But they did not. They did the opposite. In fact, God said, I need you to do this, and I need you to do it this way. And they said, I want it that way, a different way. Some of you are thinking Backstreet Boys right now. They did not know Backstreet Boys back then, and I don't judge you, maybe a little bit. Um, but isn't this the song that we sing when God gives us a direction, right? God says, I want things this way for my glory. I want you to fill the earth with uh, other humans ultimately to fill the earth with my glory. But we say, no, we want it a different way. And so serpent comes into the story. Eve listens to the serpent. He says, surely God didn't mean you would die. Surely he knows that the day you eat of this fruit, you will be like him. You will be like God. And that is very tempting to Eve. She eats of the fruit. So does Adam. They fall. And in God's great mercy, even in the fall, he takes them out of the garden because he knew that if they eat, ate, of the tree of life, they would forever be separated from God. So instead of allowing them to do that, he takes them out of the garden. We then find Cain and Abel, story of brothers, bringing offering before the Lord, different offerings. And Cain is jealous of Abel and kills him. And we see the first homicide happen in scripture and Cain is sent away to the east. And sin begins to rise. We begin to see humanity gets worse. More evil arises. And, and I think it's tempting for us to look at our times now and think, man, it's never been this bad. And yet we look at Genesis and we realize it's always been this bad because sin in us makes us be separated from God and causes us to rebel against God. And so evil rises up to the point that God says, I cannot allow this anymore. And the past couple of weeks, we navigated the flood. So he allows a flood to come upon the earth destroys all of basically humanity except for one man and his family, Noah. 
And we see him go into the ark. God protects Noah and his family. And after the flood uh, ceases, they come out of the ark and God starts a new plan with this family. And this brings us to today's story, the tower. We are but a, but a generation removed from Noah stepping out of the ark, about 103 years from that one generation removed. And we see humanity is no different. We see that humanity is again trying to take things into their own hands and trying to do things their own way. And this is the story of the Old Testament. This is the story of humanity. And this is our story. And this is why it's important for you and I to pay attention to today's text. Because as we look at today's text, I think it's tempting for us to say, well, that's not me. I'm not trying to build a tower. You know, I'm not trying to rebel against God. I'm actually just trying to live a pretty normal, good life. And yet today's text will show us that at our heart level, we rebel against God in ways we don't even realize because it is in our nature. So let's start this text. Verse 1 of chapter 11 and verse 2. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. We might think off the bat, that's not bad, bro. I mean, God told them to go to the rest of the world and to fill it. So surely they had to migrate Moses is very intentional with his words in this text. There are subtle things here that if we first read them, we might not catch them. But he says that the people began to migrate. They began to migrate east, and they all had one language. Now, if you read chapter 10 at all, you know that he gives us this genealogy. Genealogies that most of us kind of tend to check out from, and yet today we will see why they're so important to understand. And so this story of the tower is sandwiched between two genealogies. The first one is, a, is the uh, genealogy of Noah's son Ham, who ultimately gives us his son Nimrod, who starts his kingdom here in Babel. And so we have this genealogy that produces a not so healthy group of people. At the end of chapter 10, we see that there are different clans, different nations, and we might almost think, Moses, what? I thought you just said there's one language, and yet the chapter before, there are multiple clans and languages. And what we find is that Moses is not given as a chronological account of the events. No, he's presenting this story, and he tells us these nations have all uh, have their own language and have spread, but that happened because of this. And he breaks the narrative and tells us the story of the Tower of Babel. And he says they're migrating east. Well, what's the big deal to migrate east? See, What we find in Genesis up to this point is a couple of important details that he gives us when he uses the term east. When Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden, they were were taken out to the east of the garden. When uh, Cain kills Abel and moves away, chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. In the chapters to come, we find that Abraham and Lot uh, separate their lands, and Abraham gives Lot the option to go in whatever direction he wants to go, and he sees the Jordan Valley, and he sees that it is a good place and wants to take that, and guess what direction that is? East. And so there is this theme that when the people of God or when the people in in Genesis begin to move east, they're actually moving away from God. The ancient Near East would have known that to walk east was to turn your back to the sun, to the light, and ultimately to turn your back to God. And so we begin to discover the first reality of our human nature, and it is this, that we are drifters. That man in our nature, we are drifters. And you might be thinking, I'm not a drifter, bro. I'm I'm pretty, pretty solid. 
When I was a kid, um, I remember I grew up in church. I grew up in a pretty charismatic Pentecostal church, so I would wear a suit and tie every Sunday, right, like a good Christian. And I remember being a kid and asking my mom to dress me up just like the pastor. I would always tell her, I want to be like the pastor and comb my hair like the pastor. And I'd get to church, and I'd go sit in the front with the pastor, and I always thought, I'm going to be like the pastor one day. And middle school comes, and I stopped saying that. And the pastor asked me, uh, so you haven't said you want to be like the pastor anymore. What changed? And I said, pastors don't make a lot of money. I don't think I want to be a pastor anymore, <laughs> right? So middle school comes around, I think, all right, well, I still want to help people, but I, I think the Lord's called me to bless his ministry. So I'm going to be a doctor. That's what, that's what God's calling me to do. So I journey through middle school and high school thinking I'm going to be a doctor, go to college, spend my summers in medical schools graduate and start working in the business world. And all of a sudden, these ideas that I had as a kid, I've drifted away from and end up not going to medical school. And God had a different journey for me. And I think that's something I had to discover. And yes, when we're kids, we don't know better. But as you journey in life, have you set out to to, uh, have plans that you have slowly began to drift away from? Plans that in your mind, you think, man, by the time I'm 35, I will and fill in the blank. And then you turn 35 and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even close to that. Or by the time I'm 40, and we begin to drift from these ideas and dreams that we've had. But now let me ask you a more serious question. When's the last time, or think of a time in your life when you felt the closest to God? When you can look at a season in your life and you say, man, I was, I, this is the time that was the most intimate. I had the closest proximity to God. If that season is now, praise the Lord. Do everything to continue to foster that. But many of us can look back at seasons and think through uh, our lives and realize, man, there have been seasons that we've been really close to God. Why are we not in that season anymore? And what I found is that we are not in that season anymore because in our natural bent as humans, we're drifters. And this is how it happens when we begin to move east. We're walking with the Lord where things are good. The season's really good for us and we love it. And we take one small step. Ah, You know what? I don't think I have time to pray this morning. I'm in a rush, and we get home, and we're tired, and you know what? I'll I'll pray tomorrow. Then we take another step and say, you know what? I just, I really want to get in the Word. I'm saving it for when I'm the freshest, which is probably going to be Saturday morning because, you know, the week is crazy and chaotic. And so Saturday morning, I'll have my time to, to be with the Lord and pray and read Scripture. And so we take one step away from that intimate relationship. And then we say, you know what? Neighborhood group, this Sunday, I'm just really exhausted. I don't think I'm going to make it. And all of a sudden, we are spending time at home, and we're slowly moving away one step again in our nature to drift, and now we're not in community. Growth group, man, bro, it's just a really inconvenient time to meet, to have accountability, to go into the Word, to be challenged. I just, I don't have time. And when we least realize it, we've drifted so far from the core of what God's called us to, and that's a relationship with Him. That's because it's in our nature to drift, and we have to acknowledge that reality that constantly we have to be checking ourselves. Otherwise, we take these small steps, little by little, and drift away. Hebrews 6.19 tells us this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is what we realize now after all the story of the Old Testament is that the only thing that anchors us, only thing that anchors us and keeps us from drifting is Jesus himself. 
It's a deep abiding relationship with Jesus himself. When we don't have that, when we don't foster that, when we don't continually pursue that, we will slowly over time begin to drift and we will slowly over time begin to move toward the east. So let me ask you, what tendencies do you have to drift? How does it happen in your life? Maybe I've said some things today that you think I could see that. I could see myself isolating, moving away from community, moving away from relationships, moving away from intimacy with God. Well, that's okay because the story today allows us to see that because this is our human nature, we must turn and repent and come to Christ, our anchor of our soul. So these drifters, what is it they were doing here in Genesis? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So we have this group gathers. Uh, some people think Nimrod was leading this, but we see here that this was kind of a group thing. It says, come, let us do this together, right? Everybody had this idea of, man, this seems like a good idea. Now, I want, I want to illustrate to this to you. So I, want you, I just want you to listen to what I'm going to do, okay? Very underwhelming, right? Like, what are you doing? Now, I want you to do the same thing with me. I'll say one, two, three, four, five, and I want you to clap with one finger when I say one, two fingers when I say two, so on until we get to five. But I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to pay attention to what you hear, okay? We're going to do this together. Ready? One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Thank you. I'll end my sermon there. Do <laughs> um, you see the power of being one, being one mind, of being of producing something bigger than ourselves? When, we, when I do this by myself, you look at me and think, that makes no sense. But as you listen and you hear it, it all of a sudden begins to create something that's way bigger than ourselves. And that is what the people here were doing. They were trying to create something that was way bigger than themselves. And so they said to one another, let us build this city and let us build this tower. And the two things that follow are important for us to understand. They say, so that we can make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed throughout the earth. And so we might think at first, well... Building a city, building a tower, that's not necessarily bad, right? And what they were building here are known as ziggurats, which in that time were these man-made mountains. And I have a picture for you to see what this would have looked like, what they had envisioned they were building. And so they have this mountain that they're building from brick and mortar. I mean, think about the ingenuity. They were signing up not for a lazy life. They were actually there to work hard. They were saying, we're going to build this ourselves. We're going to surround ourselves in this city, and we're going to build this ziggurat, this mountain that in the Mesopotamian era was a place where they believed heaven and earth met. And so this was a tower that they were trying to build ultimately to, to not just uh, in their minds. They weren't thinking we're going to commune with God. They were thinking we're going to build this tower to make it to the heaven. So off the bat, we might think, well, that's not necessarily bad. No. But what is bad is their purpose statement. They said, let us build this tower to make a name for ourselves. 
God has told him to go and bring his glory to the rest of the world. And instead of making the name of God great among the world, they said, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to create this tower that people will remember us by. And they set out to do this. And what we see here is that these drifters took something good but did it for the wrong reasons. And you know what that's called? It's called disobedience. Good things done for the wrong reasons is disobedience. And that's why I tell you that maybe you're sitting here and thinking, man, my life's really not that bad. I'm doing a lot of really good things. And praise the Lord for that. You know, maybe we're not in active rebellion against God. But if we're doing really good things for the wrong reason, then we are in disobedience. And we have to look into our hearts and ask, why am I doing what I am doing? They wanted to build a name for themselves rather than a name for God, and they wanted to gather rather than scatter, whereas the purpose of the tower would have been a representation of God down to be among the people. They wanted to go up into heavens and be among God, essentially to be God. And what do we begin to see here is this small whisper from the garden, you'll be like God, you'll be like God. And all of a sudden, generations later, that whisper is still present among humanity. If we build this tower, people will remember us. We'll go into heaven and we will be like God. And this reveals the second thing for us about human nature is that we are prideful people. That you and I, at our core, we are prideful. And we think we know better than the Lord. And we sing, I want it that way, jokingly, but that's kind of our MO in life. I want things a certain way. And when we do that, what we're essentially saying is, Lord, I know better than you. And um, I don't really need your ways. Now, I need your blessings because I have goals and I have things in mind that I want to accomplish. But I don't really need you. And the things that you are asking me to do, I don't really want to do. So I'm going to do things my way. And it's in all of us to wrestle with this pride at some capacity. We want to be seen a certain way. You educate your kids, right? And I've told you guys the stories of when I was a kid, my mom making sure, hey, we don't act a fool because that was a representation of her. And so, you know, we educate our kids and we think, uh, don't act crazy in public because I don't want to look bad, right? Not because I want to teach you how to obey, but because I don't want to look bad. And when there are things in us that just naturally, because of the society we live in, create these profiles online, create this life that we want people to see and admire us for even good things like prayer and fasting. And as we enter Lent, right, it's going to be a temptation for me to go on there and be like, hey, guys, just trying to be super spiritual, so I'm going to close out my Facebook account for the next 40 days you know, because that really blesses the Lord for me to do that. No, it's so that people can see just how spiritual I'm about to be for 40 days. And we begin to see ourselves just fall into these traps where we want to be recognized. We have this pride in us that wants people to acknowledge us for for what we can do and what we can accomplish. But God says, no, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's not even about what we can accomplish for the name of the grove. It's ultimately because we want to make the name of Christ known across the entire world. That is why we meet the way we meet. That is the reason we scatter into our neighborhood groups, into growth groups, is to share the good news of Jesus because the world needs to know about Jesus. They don't need to know about Josue. They don't even need to know about the growth. They need to know about Jesus. We're simply a vessel to take the good news and the good name of Jesus out to the world. 
And so we have to continue to test our hearts and our motives because they drift over time when unchecked. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is all of us. We are double-minded. We are sinners. We tend to drift. We tend to have pride. And God calls us to draw near to him because he opposes the proud. And there are parts in our hearts in which we are prideful. And he wants to take those things out of us so that we can have a deeper relationship with him to carry out his will and his purposes for our lives. Not our own. Because his are so much greater and better than ours. And so he's asking us to step into obedience. And so let me ask you, what are the good things you may be doing now for the wrong reasons? What are the good things in your life that may be present, good things that in your mind are, man, I am doing this really well. But what are the reasons behind that? What are they feeding in you? What desires are they feeding in you? Are they aligned with what God has for you? If the answer is yes, praise the Lord, keep at it. If the answer is no, let's talk about it. Share with your neighborhood group. Share with your growth group. Share with the community around you. That's how we are able to repent and bring to light the things in our, heart, in our hearts that are pridefully standing against the Lord. You see, the people here, they said, we're about to work hard. And this is an active rebellion against God. A good thing, and we're going to work hard to actively rebel against God. And we do that in many small ways over time. And so they were prideful. But the second thing that we find is they're building this city. Why are they building a city? They say, lest we be scattered in the world, right? You build cities at that time to protect yourself. You build cities at that time so that other people, when you have these walls, they don't invade you. And yet there were one, land, there were one people, one language. What were they trying to protect themselves from? They're trying to protect themselves from the will of the Lord. Right? They're trying to go up into the heavens and basically be like God. And they said, yeah, Genesis 9-1, God tells Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth again. And they know that God is saying, you need to go out to the world. But they said, we found this place that's comfortable. We like it. My homies are here. My community is here. My people are here. And so we're going to settle down, hunker down, and we're going to build this, these walls in this city because it's comfortable here and we like it here. And I know God said to go, but we don't want to go. And so we build these cities because we, we are, at our third thing, as, as in the nature of man, we are fearful. And this is what I realize here, is that the things that we build reveal our fears. Or let me say it a different way to you. The life we build, we build reveals our deepest fears. The kind of life that you and I are trying to build day in and day out reveals what we really fear. If we are moving out to the burbs a little bit because we want safety, we fear not having that safety, right? When we work harder to have more money, we are fearing not having security, and so we work hard to have security. And we begin to take a step back and look at the life that we are building. We realize, man, the life that we are building actually exposes the fears that we have. Deuteronomy 8.2 says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. As we build comfortable and safe lives, I'm not saying that's an inherently bad thing. We want safety. We want to protect our lives. 
What God does for us, though, is he helps us test our hearts. It's not that the Lord doesn't know what's in you and in me and in our hearts. But this testing, what it allows uh, us to do is to have a better sense of what truly is in our hearts and what's truly driving the life we are trying to build. Is it a life that is making a name for ourselves? Is it a life that is a life of comfort, of success, of the things that the world around us tells us is good and we're pursuing these things? Or is it a life that, as Deuteronomy 8.2 would say, keeps his commandments? Are we building a life of obedience or are we building a life for ourselves, in essence, disobedience? And so the invitation for us here is to explore these fears that we have, to look at our lives, the life we're building, to see those fears, to call them for what they are, is fears that God is not taking care of us, that God will not take care of us. And he's saying, I got you. I'm with you. I've not abandoned you. And the plans I have for you and for my people are far greater than the plans you could ever have for yourself. And so what steps of obedience do you need to take this week in your life? Maybe you see yourself as this drifter. Maybe you've drifted. And so maybe the step this week is to get back in the word, to get back into prayer, to get back into community, to get back into the things God has provided already for you to carry out the purposes he has for your life. And so we find that God is gracious even amidst our act of rebellion. Let's keep reading verses 5 in Genesis 11. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. God does not stand idly by. He sees humanity about to do the same thing again, just in a different way. As evil is rising, he sees humanity now unite, now work together to be this one people where they themselves are God and they no longer have a need for God. And so God intercepts that, steps into the picture and says, come, let us go down. It's almost like a, that's cute, cute little tower. Let's go see this little tower that you guys are building, right? Like, yeah, come on, guys. I couldn't even find it on the map. So he comes down, looks at this tower, and he says, which the children of Adam, of man, have built. All of a sudden, we're not acting out of our identity as children of God. But we're acting out of this sinful nature. We are acting as children of Adam, people who need a savior. And so God has to bring judgment. Why? Not because he hates people, not because he wants to send people to hell. No, because he is jealous for his glory and for his name. This is something that we've been discovering over the past few weeks, that the purpose of Genesis is not, that, is not to fulfill our better lives here on earth, you and mine as humans. No, it's, it's that God would carry out his purposes for his glory, for his name's sake that truly his kingdom come and his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the purpose of God stepping into humanity and saying, hey, I can't allow you guys to continue to do this because you will destroy yourselves and you will forget about me. So God comes down, he sees one language, one people, one rebellious purpose, and he steps in. And then he continues in verse 7. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, his name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. 
irony of the story is that these people set out to make a name for themselves, and they did. We remember them, not for what they thought we would remember them for. We remember them as a people that were disobedient, that actively rebelled against the will of the Lord. And so the Lord had to step in, and what does he do? He judges their actions. He confuses their languages. And for a third time, we see this term dispersed among the earth. God actually ends up sending them and pushing them out because his plan had to be carried forward. So God, this is what we find about God, is that God carries out his good purposes despite our rebellion. God carries out his good purposes despite our rebellion. Despite the fact that the people stood up in an active act of rebellion against the Lord and said, we're going to build this tower, we're going to build this city, we're going to protect ourselves, we're going to make a name for ourselves. God says, all right, time for me to step in does not forget his people. He is not absent from being with humanity. Instead, he confuses them, sends them out because his purposes and plans are important and will be carried out. And it's beautiful to see here the repetition of the language from Genesis 1. He says, let us go down. The triune God who created man, who said, let us make man in our image. He says, let us go down. And he confuses them, sends them out, and he pushes them out so that his plan and purpose can be carried out. And this is still important for us today, that there's a season where we have to hunker down, where we find our people, where we're here, and yet this is not the end all be all of our Christian walk. God actually is sending us out. You hear this message week in and week out here at the Grove that you are a missionary in your backyard, that you're called to go to be dispersed, that you would go and proclaim the name of Jesus, that you would go and proclaim the good gospel of Jesus to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, because that is the call upon humanity. Here, the people said no to the cultural mandate of going to the, to the ends of the earth. But you and I have the opportunity to look at ourselves, look at our intentions, look at our motives, repent where we need to and say, Lord, here I am, send me. That that would be the cry of our heart before the Lord, that we would be truly be a people ready to go when God says it's time to go. This is why we disciple one another. This is why we take the gospel so seriously here at the church because it is not just the front door to Christianity. It's not just the way we come to Christ. It is the way we live every single day, repenting and believing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we invite others into this process. We invite others to know this good God that you and I know personally, the good God that cares for us, that despite our rebellion, carries out his good purposes in you and in me. And that's a God that's worth praising and worshiping and being in a relationship with, that despite many times you and I failing him, he's never once failed us. He's never once abandoned us. He's never once turned from us. And in fact, when we rebel the most, he pursues us and brings us back closer into the fold. And that's the reason we plant churches. Shameless plug again. That's the reason we're headed down to Sugarland to continue this, to continue to go to continue to go and make disciples of these nations that have spread out and rebelled against God because there's another community even 20 minutes south from here that needs to hear the good news, that think they know Jesus but are actually living a life that's an active rebellion against him, that are building a life of city walls, of towers, of a name for themselves, of protecting themselves, and they need to hear that there's a better way, that there's a better God. And so we get to go and have the privilege of planting in Sugarland area to share this good news of this good God that even from Genesis he's been taking care of his people and carrying out his purpose and his plan so God carries out his good purposes despite our rebellion 
And you might say, all right, well, this is the end of the story, bro. Where's the rainbow, right? Like you said, God always makes a way. There's no rainbow here. The end of verse 9 says, and from there the Lord dispersed him over the face of all the earth. But remember I told you there's something very important in the middle uh, uh, and the side of each of this story. That's the genealogy in the front end. And now we have this genealogy. And it almost seems kind of like, Moses, what in the world? You're going to tell us the story of the, ba- uh, the Tower of Babel and then list off a whole bunch of names. Makes no sense. But it makes perfect sense when I tell you this. Look at verse 26 in chapter 11. And this is where we will end today. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Naor, and Haran. And you might think, all right, well, that's not very exciting. I mean, like, what do I do with the list of those names? This is where genealogies get exciting for us, when we understand what Moses is doing here. The genealogy at the beginning of the story shows us a people that begin to build a kingdom for themselves. And if this people are let, uh, are allowed to continue that journey, they will simply be uh, pushing themselves further and for- further away from the Lord. We see the Tower of Babel as an example of that. But then Moses says, well, that's not the end of the story because we recognize the name here, the father of nations, right? You guys probably sang this song as a kid, Father Abraham, right? You know the song. And all of a sudden we see his name here for the first time. And this is God saying, out of active rebellion, I have one man prepared. Out of this rebellious people, I have one man prepared to make a way for salvation to come to the world. Now, If you've never been excited about genealogies, hopefully today you read this and you see God has been so purposeful even from the beginning of time to always have this remnant, to always create a way for us. And that's the final good news that we find in this chapter is that God always makes a way for salvation. God takes a man from the heart of rebellion and makes a new nation, Israel, that would make a way for Jesus and ultimately make a way for you and for me. So I'll end with some questions. What are some areas of rebellion that you can pinpoint you need to repent of and give to God? Maybe they're subtle, or maybe you can think of some things that you've actively been saying no to the Lord. You've been saying, Lord, I will not do that. I'm too scared, too scared of rejection. I don't think I'm prepared enough to share the gospel. I know you've been asking me to invite my neighbor over. I'm just thinking through different things that maybe we've said, ah, not yet, Lord. I don't think I'm ready to do that. What are these areas of rebellion that maybe you need to submit to the Lord? Where has he called you to go, but because of drift and pride and fear, you have said no? What has he called you to do in your mundane Monday through Saturday that maybe because of your pride, because of your drift, or because of your fear, you've said no? And maybe a deeper question, a process with your spouse or process with your growth group and neighborhood group, what kind of life are you building What are you hoping from this life? And what does that reveal about the fears that you have for yourself and for your family? And finally, what reminder do you need of this good God today? And let me just end with these good reminders. Our good God is always present, not removed from our experience. Our good God carries out his will and good purposes despite our rebellion. And our good God always makes a way for salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful as we look back to the story of Genesis, to the story of humanity, a story that's no different 
um, today. It's no different in our hearts today, Lord. We see in many parts of our lives how we can drift, how at times we've drifted. Lord, bring us back close to you. Let us taste and see that you indeed are good. And life apart from you is not life at all. Lord, we are no different than the prideful who were trying to build a name for themselves. We pursue success. We pursue being known. We pursue doing things so that people will recognize us. And ultimately, when we say no to you, we are trying to take your place in our lives. And that pride is just deep embedded in our sin nature. And we also just in our humanity, not just have a tendency to drift and to have pride, but we are fearful, Lord. If we are being honest in this room, we have some deep-seated fears that we've built walls to protect ourselves from. And rather than saying, Lord, you are our protector, you are our provider, we say, I can do this for myself. But Father God, thank you for the good news that you have stepped into the story of humanity's rebellion. And you said, that's enough. Left to yourselves, you will not do good things. So let me shift and work in a way that my salvation will come to all of humanity. We're encouraged by that truth and that story. That even though there's confusion, Lord, you clarified that confusion at Pentecost when um, the gospel was proclaimed in all these languages. All these nations that were forgotten and abandoned heard the good news of Jesus at Pentecost. And we're grateful that that's a reality for us today that we are those people that were spread out, that had no good thing coming to us, but Jesus came to this world, made a way, and now we have the good news of the gospel. Let us be men and women who take this gospel seriously and who share this gospel constantly with ourselves, with our family, with our neighbors, and with this world. We're humbled by your love for us, by your constant, steadfast love for us. Let us be men and women who constantly turn back to you when we drift. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen.